Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua 24, we continue our study of the big picture. It's fitting today that we look at a passage of Scripture where there was a memorial marker set up as we think about today being 9-11. We're going to take some more truths from this passage as we overview the Bible, the big picture, looking at God's purposes, God's people, and God's principles in the life of those individuals. We've been making application every week to our life as we've looked at the big picture. So today we're in Joshua chapter 24. Someone said there's two kinds of multimillionaires. There's the kind that inherited that money. They didn't work for it. It's just theirs because they were born into that family or were inherited, inherited it. And there are those folks who earned that money because they worked for it the hard way. We're going to look at some folks in the Bible today in Joshua chapter 24, actually the whole book of Joshua, who got it the easy way. They inherited the blessings of God just because of the grace of God. The children of Israel left Egypt. They were delivered by God's mighty hand through acts of miracles. And they went, Pharaoh sent them out into the desert and he followed them. And God delivered them from Pharaoh again. He he gave them the covenant, the law. We talked about that last week, God's instructions for them. And then they come to the place to enter the promised land. And after Moses is gone and Joshua takes over the leadership, they come to this place where we are in scripture today. To a land that God gave them, the promised land. Look Look with me. Chapter 24, verse 11. You then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, the people of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites. I I skipped one, didn't I? Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites fought against you, but I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you and drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword or bow. I gave you a land you did not labor for and cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from the vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Therefore, verse 14, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship, the gods your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, Joshua says, we will worship the Lord or we will serve the Lord. Just the key, we usually focus on that last verse there, but I want to focus on the the truth in this section that God says to them, this is a land you didn't earn. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to drink from wells and cisterns that you didn't dig. You're going to celebrate a land that's full. What did he call it? A land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have it. It's handed to you. It's a land you didn't earn. You're a blessed nation. And there's some responsibilities that come with that blessing. We're going to work our way through several passages and look at these four truths this morning. The first one is this that the children of Israel had to understand, and we need to understand too, we need to be aware, be aware 
of God's activity. Be aware of God's activity. Look for what God is doing around you. He says as they're wrapping up their their time and getting into the land and taking possession of the land, he says, I'm giving you a land. I drove them out ahead of you. Verse 13, a land you didn't labor for, cities you didn't build, though you live in them. God was at work and active in the lives of the children of Israel. Right here, he gives them the land. We've backtracked, we rewinded what we've looked at before, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he raised them up to be a mighty nation, how he gave them the word, the covenant with them at Sinai, how he prepared the way for them to go into the land and take possession of the land. By the way, after they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Isn't that amazing? There was a song years ago, and there was a line in it that said, take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson. You quit your griping and stop your complaining. That's literally, literally what they had to do. Before they could get into the promised land, the spies went in. God sent 12 spies in, and they came back, and 10 of them said, we can't do it. And two of them said, yes, we can. And God said, okay, those of you that said we can't, you're going to die off in the desert. 40 years for that generation to pass away. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones remaining. And they were able to lead those, that next generation into the promised land. The children of Israel missed the activity of God. Remember, we looked last week, right after they were delivered from Egypt, they're out there in the desert, and they're griping and complaining. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the desert? It had been better off if we'd been left back in Egypt. As slaves, they missed the activity of God. They forgot the opening of the Red Sea. They forgot even here some, the parting of the Jordan River, as they came in to take possession of the promised land. God had gone before them and prepared the way. Listen, don't miss this. If you're a follower of Christ, don't miss this. You have to be aware of the activity of God all around you. What has God been doing in your life? What is God doing in the lives of people around you? How is God preparing hearts? What is the activity of God? Very simple definition. Something only God can do. See, only God can cause a hardened person to soften his heart and open his heart to Christ. Only God can take a marriage that everybody says is over and heal that. Only God can do that. Only God can take a a broken relationship with parents and a teenager and bring healing. God does that. Only God can provide when a family is in need. Miraculously. Only God could have provided this building for us, debt free. Only God could do that. Be aware of the activity of God. If you look at chapter 4, kind of just go ahead. We'll be all through Joshua and a little bit in Judges today. Look at chapter 4. God constantly gave the children of Israel reminders of his activity. In chapter 4, as they were crossing the Jordan River to go into the promised land, and it wasn't a little bitty river, it was at flood stage, it was very deep. It was a major miracle of God for that river to part, for them to walk across. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 4, after the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan, where the priest's feet are standing, carry them with you, and set them down in the place where you're to spend the night. And we could go on and read the whole story, but we won't right now. What God says to them is, these stones are to be a marker. They're to be a memorial. They're to be a place of when your kids and your grandkids ask, what's that pile of stones mean? You can say, that pile of stones is a reminder of what God did in our lives. That pile of stones is a marker. That pile of stones says, we are not going to forget the activity of God in our life. You have some markers in your life? You have some places where you... 
Maybe it's just a mental marker. Maybe it's a physical place. Maybe it's a, a plaque or maybe it's a picture. And you go back to that and, and, and look at that and say, that's a reminder of what God did in my life. I have those all over my study, all over my office here at the house. Memorial markers. And maybe it's not because a person passed away, but a memorial marker to say, God, I met with you there and you did something in my life. Every single follower of Christ needs to go back to the day they open their heart to Christ. And let that be that memorial marker. Don't forget his activity. I pray this prayer periodically. God, don't let me forget what it was like to be lost. You know, I think the choir hasn't forgotten. Because they just sang, hallelujah, I'm saved. Don't forget where you were before you met Christ as your Savior. Don't forget the darkness. Don't forget the struggles. Don't forget the depression. Don't forget the emptiness. Don't forget that. Remember, God drew you into that place where you received Christ as Savior. Well, if you're here today and you've never done that, wouldn't today be a great day? Talk about a day to remember the day you open your heart to Christ. For your spiritual birthday to be 9-11, wouldn't that be incredible? So when somebody talks about 9-11, you say, oh, yeah, that was a great day. And What do you mean it's a great day? Let me tell you what God did in my life that day. You need to open your heart to Christ if you've never done that. You need to observe his activity and, and receive him. Markers or reminders, don't forget. I'm glad they're building a memorial there at the site of the World Trade Center. I'm glad that there's going to be a place when they finish it. It's already a marker. It's already a memorial. But ultimately for people to go and to say, we want to remember what happened here and never forget. Don't forget the markers in your life. Don't forget the activity of God. Joshua even piled some stones in the river, piled some stones up at Gilgal, all through the Old Testament. We've watched that, haven't we? When God did something in a person's life, they made a marker, nailed some things down. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've just always thought I was a Christian. I've always thought I was going to heaven, but I can't go back to a time in my life where I opened my heart to Christ. Pastor, I don't have a marker. I'm a church member. I might even remember the day I was baptized, but I don't, have a, I don't have a reminder, a marker in my life of when I opened my heart to Christ. Maybe you've never done that then. I had a guy tell me one time, I'm a lifer. I've just always known Christ. You ever have a baby say, well, I've just always been? No, babies are born, aren't they? Christians are born again. There has to be a time when you had a new birth. Look for God's activity. Mark that down. Number two, second principle from this passage. We have to be attentive to God's instructions. Be attentive to God's instructions. As he was telling them in chapter 3 how to cross the Jordan River, he gave them specific instructions of how to do that, that the priests were to put their feet in the water while the water is still running and then God's going to work there. They had to step out in faith and the ark was to go and the people were to follow. There were specific instructions for that. Then when God takes them in the land and they're to take, if you look at chapter 6, the conquest of Jericho. Let's just read a couple of verses in chapter 6. Look how clear God's instructions are. Jericho was, a strongly, fortifi was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. By the way, that first city that they took was one of the strongest cities they had to encounter. And you know why it was? God was testing them. But you know why it was extra fortified? Because the people in Canaan had heard about what God was doing in the, in the lives of the people of God in the wilderness. See, God had prepared the way for them. When they got to Jericho, the people of Jericho were shaken. They were scared. 
So they were fortifying the city. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I've handed Jericho, its king and its fighting men, over to you. March around the city with the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns and trumpets in front of the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. He hasn't said a thing about the sword or anything, has he? When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the people will advance, each man straight ahead. This mighty army of young people who have grown up in the wilderness, they're tough. They've had to fight some of those people out there, some of those kings out there who oppose them. They're ready to do battle. And God says, the first battle you're going to fight, you're not going to fight. You're going to have to trust me. See that big city there? See that big, ominous enemy? Just march around it once today. And then the next day, do it again. Can you imagine what's going on in their brain? What are they going to do to us? What are they going to think of us? We're the mighty army of Israel coming to conquer the promised land, the land of Canaan, and all we're doing is marching around? But then on that day when they marched around seven times and the ram's horn sounded and the people shouted, the walls fell. Jericho would not have fallen had they not followed God's instructions. What are the Jerichos in your life? What are the fortresses that the enemy has built up in your life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a a situation at work or at school. Or maybe it's in your family. Or maybe it's just in your mind and you're struggling. And there's there's this wall that you just can't seem to penetrate. You just can't seem to get over that hump spiritually. God says in his word, trust me. He has specific instructions. And he doesn't tell you to march around that city. Some people have said, if we march around this building, something will happen. There's nothing special about marching around a building seven times on the seventh day or one time every day for six. What was important is they just followed God's instructions. They just followed God's instructions. God blessed and there was victory. You have to be attentive to that. Whatever that fortress is in your life, spend time in the word of God. Spend time listening to his voice as he speaks to you truth. He gave instructions for taking Jericho. He gave instructions for conquering the people, the Canaanites that were there. Specific instructions. Hold that place. Well, you don't need to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We looked at that in our Bible study this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 in, in verse 16 and 17, or chapter 3, I'm sorry. The Bible says that the word of God is, a, is given to us. It's profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. That the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is there to teach us. It's there to train us. It's there to guide us. It's there to show us when we get off track. It's there to put us on track. Spend time in the word. Be attentive to his instructions. I asked my wife this morning. Sometimes I'm still kind of processing what I'm going to use for illustrations on Sunday morning. So I just ask her, can you think of a time in my life when? And today I said, can you think of a time in my life when I didn't follow the instructions? And, it did, and before I could finish that out, she just rolled her eyes and started laughing. <laughs> because that's me. She said, how about that piece of furniture you put together? And I got to thinking, that piece of furniture and that piece of furniture and that. You know, you get furniture now and it's really these great deals on the internet and you, they come to your house in a box. A desk that's this big comes in a box that's like that. And some engineer figured out, first of all, how to pack that box so they could get all that stuff in there. And then another one figured out how you could put all the screws and all the little cams and all that stuff together. Let me tell you, there was a time in my life I have repented. 
okay? Where I took those instructions and I laid them aside. And I said, I can figure this one out. I can't figure it out. I've tried. It's a disaster when you have all these pieces. Side A, side B, side B, two. Side B, three small little eyes beside it. You know, they, they look the same. And then you figure out if you don't follow the right order, you get it messed up. It is important to follow the directions. A lesson from the children of Israel, and we just parked on a couple of places here. Follow God's instructions. Be attentive to what he says. Number three, the third truth, be available to serve God. Be available to serve God. Be prepared. By by faith, they had to step into the Jordan River for the water to stop. By faith, they had to follow God and the leadership of God's leaders. By faith, they had to go into the promised land. By faith, they had to march around the city of Jericho. They had to say, God, here we are, we're available. And once they got into the land, they had to fight for it. God just did something neat at Jericho, but the other cities, they had to actually get in there and do battle. So God gives them this land, but he says, you're going to have to take part in it. You're going to have to act on it. You're going to have to be a part of this whole process of me giving you the promised land. And they were available to serve him. And ultimately, as Joshua challenged them, who are you going to serve? They said, we're going to serve the Lord. Be available. Once you know what God's doing in your life, say, here I am, Lord. I'm going to act by faith. I'm going to be a committed follower of Christ. I'm going to contribute to the kingdom of God in this place. One of the things we tell our folks here at Coastal Oaks, we have a 101 class that just kind of shares with you what we believe and our philosophy of ministry and kind of lets you count the cost before you join and lets you see what we're about and say, yeah, this is where I belong or this isn't where I belong. And we, we believe that God brings some people here and some people, they say, this isn't for me. But in, in a part of that class, I explain church membership this way. And this isn't original with me, but I like it. And I've used it so many times, it's mine now, okay? All right? We, we become a Christian when we commit our life to Christ. We become a church member by committing our life to other Christians. See, it's not just getting your name on the roll. It's not just saying, yeah, I know when I die, there's going to be somebody to do my funeral. That's important to some people. It's not, well, when my kids get married, there's a place for them to get married. It's not just that. To be a part of a local church is to say, I make a commitment of my life to you. And I'm saying to you, I'm going to let you hold me accountable in my walk. And I'll hold you accountable. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. I'll be there when you have a need in your life. You be there for me when I have a need. I'm committing my life to you. I'm here to serve you. And we're called to serve the community outside, and we do that well, and that's, a, that's another sermon. <laughs> But God's called us to serve one another right here. We are about to enter into a a challenge that we started last spring and we put it on hold for the summer. We're going to go back to two worship services in October. October 2nd, our first Sunday. It is the second, right? Our first Sunday to go back to two worship services. And, And some of you look around and say, well, there's still empty seats. Why do we need two worship services? So there can be some more empty seats so we can fill with more people. See, there's an opportunity Did you know that some people, when they come to a church and it's this full, they kind of say, uh, I I don't want to get in that big group, that big crowd. Or they might say, you know what, if if I'm gone, nobody will miss me. And I've seen that happen. But when there's some empty seats around, people say, oh, there's room for me. You know what else happens when there's empty seats? 
Some of you look around and say, man, I guess I better get busy inviting my friends and my neighbors to fill some of these empty seats. There's a, there's a, there's a purpose for doing all that. But more than anything, we want to do that to give people opportunities. So you pray about that. One of the things that that affords us to do is not only have an opportunity and a privilege, but to say, God, I'm available. We, have, we, have, we average 50 kids in our children's ministry on Sunday morning while we're in here preaching. They go to little coasters and we're in big coasters. I love that. Aubrey said, what do you all do while we're, in, we're doing big coasters? Well, here we are. But there are 50 kids out there. And when we have two worship services, we're going to need workers for both of those. And you say, well, pastor, that sounds like more work. You know, it really is more opportunity. Some of the people will say, you know, I would love to serve in children's ministry, but I don't want to miss Pastor Kevin's wonderful sermon. There you go. Thank you, Judy. I say, I'd really love to serve in children's ministry, but I don't want to miss the choir or whatever. And we say, well, you don't have to now. You can come to the 830 service and you can serve in the 11 o'clock service or vice versa. You know how that works? So there's opportunities for you. Be available and say, God, here I, here I am. Maybe you've never served before. You've never been a greeter. Maybe you've never worked in the nursery. Maybe you've never worked in children's ministry. But you say, God, I'm available because that's how we're going to grow this place for the kingdom. Be available. Remember, it's not about us. It's about others. Very important. Serve. Number four, the fourth truth. By the way, y'all be proud of me. I'd narrow this down to four. I had so many. Goodness. There's a whole lot of other good stuff I could share with you any time you want, you want to. Be authentic. Be authentic. I tell you what, the, one of the, the saddest, most heart-wrenching stories in Scripture to me is what happened after Jericho. If you look with me at chapter 6, verse 19 After the city falls, the Bible says all the silver and golden articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. God told them ahead of time, don't spare anybody and don't take any of that stuff. It's God's. All the silver, gold, all the fine stuff, that belongs to the Lord. It's to be dedicated to him. Man named Achan chose to keep some for himself and to bury it and didn't tell anybody. So Joshua leads the children of Israel into battle to a city called Ai, or I, however you want to say it. I always say Ai. And the children of Israel, are they are just, they are excited. They're high-fiving each other for what happened at Jericho, and they go to Ai, and they get routed. They get run out of there. They get whooped, kind of like 30 to Seven in football or whatever the final score ended up being. I mean, they just got whooped. And they have to run. And they're going, we don't understand. We thought God was with us. So God has Joshua zero in on what really happened. And they start with the tribes and they work their way down to clans and they work their way down to families. And they finally get to this guy Achan. And they find this stuff that he had taken buried in the tent underneath the floor. And they confront him. They say, Achan, God withdrew his hand. This is Kevin's paraphrase. God withdrew his hand, his blessing, because of your sin. And Achan fesses up. Look at verse 20 in chapter 7 now. Because the Bible says he took some of what was set apart. Achan replied to Joshua, it's true, I've sinned against the Lord. 
the God of Israel. This is what I did when I saw among the spoils of the beautiful cloak of Babylon 200 silver shekels, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. You can see for yourself. They are concealed in the ground in the side of my tent with money under the cloak. By the way, God judges him and, and they execute Achan. But I want you to look at the progression there. This is a whole other sermon. In verse 21, I saw, I coveted, I took, I concealed. That's the way sin is. You see it, you covet it, you take it, whether it's a relationship or whatever, and then you try to cover it up. How would it have been different if Achan had just fessed up before they went to battle? If he'd come running to Joshua while they were fixing to go out to Achan and said, hey, Joshua, I've got to stop you before you go to battle, and I've been wrong. I kept some of the Lord's stuff. I disobeyed him, and I need to just repent of it. It may have been a different story. They would have gone to battle, and we know that would have been different if he had just been authentic. See, once he confessed, they went to battle again. Once he was transparent enough to say, I'm wrong, I've been caught, I'm yielding. Once he confessed that, they were victorious in battle. Be authentic. I wonder what God could do in this place if some of us would be authentic with God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm hiding that. I'm covering that. Maybe going to a trusted friend and saying, would you pray for me? I've been wrong. I wonder if there are any Achans. Maybe not as tragic a degree of sin as his was. But you're holding on to something in your life and God is saying, I just want to bless that congregation, but I can't because they won't let me because of so-and-so's sin or so-and-so's life or so-and-so's relationship. What would happen if we just said, God, you're right. We're coming clean. We want your blessing. Hey, well, one of the most important places, well, the most of being authentic is when it comes to your spiritual relationship with God through Christ. Maybe today you realized that just going to church and having your name on a roll isn't enough to get you to heaven. And it's time like several have done recently. Say, I just want to come clean and say, I really need Christ as my Savior. I really need Jesus and not religion. I need a relationship with God. I may have the label, but it's not real. There's a show on, I think, the History Channel called Pawn Stars, P-A-W-N. Y'all seen that Las Vegas pawn shop? Fascinating. A guy walked in one time with, and tells his story. He has a violin case. He said, I just bought a piece of property, and there was a barn on the property, and I went to the barn and started going through the stuff in the barn, and I found an old chest there, and I opened it up and dusted off this case and opened up this case, and there is a violin, Mark Stradivarius. Yeah, whoa. So he takes it to the pawn shop. <laughs> anyway, for TV, I guess. He takes it there and says, I, I want to know what you give me for this, and he's hoping it's going to be worth millions of dollars. And so they bring in their experts. They always do. I've got a guy that knows violins. You know, They bring the guy in, and he looks at it, and he says, this isn't genuine. This is artificial. This is fake. And so they have to break the news to the guy that thought he just found this million-dollar Stradivarius. 
And the guy that owns the pawn shop says to the man, just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. I wonder, have you been walking around with the label, Christian, but it's not real? Wouldn't it be great today to settle it, to know that you know that you've received Christ as Savior? Let's pray together.